Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a shark. And I just drank a couple gallons of Agent Orange, so I am pervious to pain. Welcome to episode 165, Fall Brawl 1995. War Games. Let the games begin. Uh, I think your eyes melting. Huh? Out of your face? Oh yeah. You shouldn't you shouldn't drink Agent 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 <laughs> Orange. I don't know why you thought it would give you superpowers. You're crazy. Hey. I do what I can, or I do what it takes to sometimes make it through a WCW show. Hmm. I was told to do everything that Hulk Hogan did, and I would be fine. Yeah. Right. As far as I thought, Agent uh, Orange was a vitamin. Don't let your eye leak out onto your cheek. <laughs> so this was the third annual fall brawl produced by WCW. It would take place on September 17, 1995, from the Asheville Civic Center in Asheville, North Carolina, with an attendance of 6,600 people. That's a lot of Ashvillians in one place. Ashvillians? Is that right? Yes. Ashvillians. Sounds good Uh, to me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the sweet spot we always talk about, but it looks like a a nice filled civic center. Yeah. It's a good-looking crowd. 6,000 is a sweet spot for both companies at this point, I think. I mean, definitely more for WCW because, I mean, I guess WWF's running those smaller venues for their in their houses. But yeah, they still are, are pulling the fairly decent numbers. Yeah, on they their still get the fifteen, fifteen to eighteen on their big shows. Wow, damn, it's crazy. It is, cra- it is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it is crazy considering uh, they brought Hogan in, probably a pretty penny, but they were not booking the bigger venues, and they're giving shows away for free on beaches, shopping malls. Also, didn't realize this was only the third fall brawl, guys. Third fall brawl, and what the? I think it started in '88, maybe. As far as war games, yeah. First war games was Great American Bash '85. Oh wow! So even older. So this is ten years. Ten years of war games potentially. Ooh. Yeah, I think that's right. Because it was on that video that we watched. Yeah, a lot the of them they would be on like American bashes. And stuff. Yeah, it was Great American Ma- Bash. Bash tours back then. Yeah. I want to say it was 85. That yeah. sounds right. It just seems like we've had uh, more fall brawls than three. But hey, I, I trust I trust the man. Oh, good. Cause yeah, because it's true. <laughs> I know it's true. I did my research. Yeah, I just, it's, whenever it's like, oh, I guess not all the war games were on fall brawls. I just had to do some That's true there. mental backflips. Yeah, because we've had some that were, did we have one at a Halloween Havoc? No, no that, that was, was the, that was, yeah, the, the cage, Chamber of Horrors. Yeah. Match. Mm-hmm. I th- was there one at Wrestle War? That would make sense, but I don't think so. I just know Wrestle War '89 is a great show. Yeah. Well, they did the two rings at Wrestle War '89, so unless it was the but no, they did the the two ring the two ring battle royal, whatever you call that. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Battle Bowl. Wait. No, it wasn't the Battle Bowl. Starcade. It was just a two ring battle royal. 
But they must have done. They must have done a war games at that show. There's no reason they would have just had the two rings. Just this, for a, this gets to something that I thought about earlier. War games, nobody's favorite gimmick. Hmm. When I think of war games, I think of like three things: Sid Justice destroying Brian Pillman. That's one. The other one is Dusty and the Road Warriors. Mm-hmm. In uh, that was '85. Yeah, and then the yeah. third thing. I don't know if everybody else is going to think of this, is the Zabisco uh, turn. Oh. I mean... And in my head, those are like yeah, the, the only... Danger, the Dangerous Alliance. Those are the only memorable, like, War Games things to me at all. The and first time that Arn probably the best was thing. upside down with his head between two rings. Oh, that yeah. one was yes. awesome. Oh, good, 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 good on you. I and was then, trying to And think. then they brought back that same gimmick a couple War Games later, and it was horrible, because you, you could see, see his the gap. head... Yeah, just perfectly safe between the two rings. Like six inches on either side of his ear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's what I usually think of is Arn and then the Dangerous Alliance War Games just because okay. that was my favorite War Games. Yeah, that's the th- the three for me is like, okay. It was like a bloodbath. P- Pillman's my favorite. Zabisco one was confusing, but I like Zabisco. It still surprises still... every time I like just happen to go look for the Mel- through the Meltzer five-star matches. That Pillman one is a five star match, and I'm just like, how is that a five star match? With I mean, it's Meltzer. I'm his opinion. You, you can agree yeah, with it. You don't right. have to. Whatever. It's like yeah, it, it's it's a. It's up to you whether you enjoy anything. Standard way of just like looking at stuff because, because he's just been doing it for so long. Yeah, because he's the second guy to do it. But I, like every time I see that that was a five star match, I'm just like, with that ending, that's a five star match for you. It's just a, it was just the Pillman coming out party, I guess. But I'm just like, oh, perhaps, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. And I think the Dusty Road Warriors, I remember because we basically watched a really weird version of it. And also, it's the Road Warriors and Dusty. Like, what a fun combo. Dusty's just trying to take some Dusty of their Dusty Road Warriors, four yeah. horsemen. Yeah, it's like, it's the guys. These are the guys. So, yeah, of course it's memorable. Was in that match. Yeah. I was trying to remember the fourth one. As we'll see later in the show, like, the one of these teams is not the four horsemen. They're the no horsemen. Mm-hmm. There's lots of no horsemen on this show. <laughs> they are the, uh, <laughs> on, they're the. They're not even the bunkhouse stampede or whatever the hell. Oh, they were the called. Um, the stud so stable. Stud stable. This is still much better than the bunkhouse stampede. <laughs> but we're in North Carolina. We are. So Shane, what did you bring us this week? Well, I did my research and uh, was looking up some North Carolina foods and beverages and whatnots. I contemplated bringing another burger, but I figured we had a burger last week, so I'd give us a, a gap in between burgers. For our health? Yes. But, you know, also for our health, I decided to bring something that I brought last time-ish. Last time I brought a beverage featuring frozen orange juice concentrate. This time I brought a beverage that features ready-made orange juice and a bunch of alcohol. Because, you know, it's WCW, it's Fall Brawl gotta have alcohol when you're watching wcw alcohol is also good in the fall and it oftentimes will lead you to want to brawl and this here uh cocktail concoction also plays into the show because as my little uh introduction line said i just drank a couple gallons of agent orange and uh, i'm impervious to pain did you just feed us agent orange (laughs) we did You just ingested it. Yeah, Matt's eyeballs down to his chin. This just might be the last episode because we may all die. Could be. This is the Agent Orange. It is uh, some vodka, some Grand Marnier, 
little triple sec, some orange juice. I feel like I'm forgetting another ingredient. Is there spice in there? There is, uh, no? Cumin? No. Not cumin, that's the wrong one. I was going to say nutmeg or clove. No, no. Because I keep getting like a, like almost a little bit of heat out of, off of something. Like something spicy. I think it's just highly alcoholic. Yes. <laughs> if I'm just being... <laughs> that's, the, like... uh, that's the Deep Eddie's Orange Vodka right okay. there. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's... Because my, my eye definitely twitched the first, <laughs> yeah, yeah. on that first drink. Yeah, it's alcohol with alcohol and more alcohol with a little splash of OJ in there. It is an orange juice uh, martini of Yes, sorts. and uh, you drink a few of these or a couple gallons of this, and yes, you will be impervious to pain. <laughs> I would believe it. <laughs> I'm, uh, so you made this up, or you looked up the cocktail? No, I looked it up. Okay. I just looked because that line kept running through my head, so I was like, all right, let's see if we have a cocktail named Agent I orange. mean, he, wrote that, he said that, and I was like... Sure. Hogan. <laughs> like, yeah, you shouldn't be talking about drinking like fucking war crimes. Figured I'd go a little fancier and went to Dollar Tree and got these cheapo martini glasses because mm. you know we're well fancy. We no, are. Dollar Tree's great for uh, some some glasses. We're over ten years into some some pay per views and wrestling history here, so we we deserve a little uh, step up in class. Instead of having to constantly drink from your little wrestling cups. Yeah. They uh, are cute, but they're not martini glass cute. Yeah. Orange vodka, Grand Marnier, a little triple sec, OJ, and a little garnish of a orange peel. Mm-hmm. Are you guys familiar with code the song Code Blue by the California punk band Agent Orange? Can't say no. that I am. It's like their only popular song. I only know it because... Uh, was it featured in any TV shows or movies? I think Age Orange might have been on Return of the Living Dead, but uh, Code Blue, the song, like the chorus is, I want to fuck, I want to fuck the dead. Uh, so it's like pretty memorable. It's just like one of those songs you download off Napster when you get I into punk music. I would want to remember a song with those lyrics, yeah. so no, I have not heard it. Uh, it's not uh, great, but in, anytime somebody says Agent Orange, I'm like, oh yeah. LA punk band, and then I'm like, oh, the one Agent Orange song. So I'm sure they have better songs than that, but that's just the one that is memorable. And I, it may have been in Return of the Living Dead, but I don't know. Maybe sometime if we're uh, back in North Carolina, I'll have to bring a Carolina style burger. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring the code blue. Um, It'll be a blueberry, bring, blueberry no, martini. Code red, just for something with a little, a little, little easier to sip on. Oh yeah. The thing about a martini is, like, you can't chug a martini. So that's the great thing about the martini glass is, like, you know it's straight booze, so you're just going to sit. I remember when I worked at Olive Garden, we used to have a guy that would come in quite frequently, and he'd just walk up to the bar and ask for, you know, a dirty vodka martini. I'd make it, hand him the glass, turn around to put his money in the drawer, and it would be slammed and gone by the time I'd turn around with the change. They had a song on the Freddy Got Fingered soundtrack. Oh, no, great movie. I wouldn't have remembered that either because I hated that fucking movie I so fucking much. love it so much. <laughs> I didn't really quite like it as a kid, but as an adult, I've come to appreciate um, it in a, such a uh, visceral uh, way. Maybe I'll have to uh, give it another go because you got to sit down it. with some friends and just take in the absurdity I of it. I tried watching it, and my nephew at the time was like in the annoying junior high age, so it was every little thing that they did in that fucking movie he wanted to repeat nonstop. so it was um, all day long of daddy would you like some sausage <laughs> not even the best bit in the, no. in the movie uh, I mean it was Tom Green being Tom Green doing Tom Green shit I'll send you a fun YouTube video then you don't have to rewatch the movie 
Right. Something that happened right around the same time <laughs> as Fall Brawl. The movie Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, would be released to theaters the week before. It was. And who are our three major stars in this film? I can picture the cover. Three major stars are Patrick Swayze. We've got Wesley Snipes. Who's the third one? John Leguizamo. Leguizamo. And you also have Chris Penn. You've got Stalker Channing. Uh, okay. You have that. But those are the three that are uh, like that drag are the, queens. The drag queens, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've got, uh, I'm trying to remember all their characters' names. You've got Patrick Swayze, who was, I'll come back to it. You've got Wesley <laughs> Snipes, who was Noxzema Jackson. Noxzema. You've got uh, John Leguizamo, who was, oh, the pest. I mean, yeah. But <laughs> you ready? Are you ready for it? Chichi Rodriguez. Go. There you go. Um, I'm still torn on what the hell Patrick Swayze's character's name was. It's something classic. Vita. Oh yeah. Vita. Yeah. How, how did you say it? Vita. Vita Bohem or something like that. Tu Wong Fu filmed in Nebraska during the uh, summer of my oh, wow. between my junior and senior year. Did you know that it was being shot at the time that you lived there? I did, and I went and auditioned because I was the actor of my school at the time. So I figured Hollywood's coming to Nebraska. This is my <laughs> only opening. shot. If anybody is going to get it, why not me? And my sister Kelly's friend Denise. Drove me up there to... Oh, that's a good friend. I think it was... Where the hell we did the auditions at? Like the Pershing Auditorium or something like that. The lead Center. Yeah. Did my, my open audition and I got a call back. And did another audition and got a call back. Oh, wow. And I came very close to being cast in the role until it was discovered that I did not get cast in a role opposite of Patrick Swayze, John Leguizamo, oh, my gosh. Snipes. Uh, it's even worse to get the callbacks than it is to just tell people, right? Yeah. That sounds like awful. You, you, you saw something in me, just let me be a background person. You know? <laughs> just let me let me come and play for the day. Yeah, what was the role? Uh, I've not seen was, this movie. It was one of the supporting roles. His name, the character's name is Tommy Paul. He was like the punk kid of this little small Nebraska town that they end up broke down in. And he's basically like the... Uh, Ringleader so or gang leader me, of the, the local teens. You're yeah. telling me Michael Vartan beat you out for Michael Vartan. He he stole my career. He went on, you know, he, he ended up getting kissed by Drew Barrymore. He ended up being on Friends as most Richard's well son. Known, most well known for being on Alias. Nah, fuck him. Oh, yeah, I don't even know who Michael Jennifer Garner is. is most known for Alias. Michael well, Vartan. I'm just saying <laughs> that that's what Michael Vartan is most known yeah, for. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Michael Vartan stole my, stole my career. Uh, you, you should, uh, but you know, with without him doing that, I wouldn't be here in this chair, possibly. Hey, we love we love that you're here. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, but did you love the movie when it came out? I did. Or did you have like some weird uh, like FOMO anger? Well, I was a teenage homo at the time, and I, said I was FOMO. very much in the closet. <laughs> but I had very much FOMO before knowing what FOMO was because uh, yeah. I knew I had to be a part of this or at least experience the audition process because. It's not very often, at least at that time, that Hollywood would come to Nebraska to do much. Yeah. Other than, you know, showcase somebody in their overalls doing chicken calls or something like that for a bit on The Tonight Show. Yeah, wheat hanging out of their mouth or whatever. Yeah. 
I say that because that's actually something that happened. One of <laughs> one of the kids that I graduated with, his dad ended up on Jay Leno one night doing chicken calls because uh-huh. he was the chicken call guy, chicken call champion of Nebraska or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So who was the real winner? <laughs> Travis uh, Fox. That's who won. He was uh, a former boss at Blockbuster, but he ended up being a uh, production assistant on Tu Wong Fu. He got to get high with Patrick Swayze and Wesley Oh, Sanders. that's cool. That's At one fun. point, he was on the uh, Jerry Springer as the Barney Basher. Mm. Would you say this is the first showing kind of of I want to say I want to say homosexuality, but maybe even going even further to maybe just even dr- just, drag just drag side, yeah. the well, drag I mean, side yeah. kind of being out there in yeah. Like as far as Hollywood. around the time that things were starting had Bris- to had really Priscilla turn. Priscilla come out yet. Um, not yet. I think oh. that one was around the same time. Cause... Okay. Because I was going to say, I've never seen this movie, but I have seen uh, Paris is Burning, the documentary, which absolutely rules and everybody should watch. But uh, I imagine, but it's obviously more authentic and this is a comedy. Yeah. But I don't know how much the joke is that they're dressed up as ladies or if it has, I'm sure it has some heart to it but it is technically a comedy right yeah yeah oh, it's it's very much a comedy but it's not like a gay panic comedy no okay. i mean i i, I was just I curious because that's kind of what it looks like i wouldn't be surprised if this is the first time that i was probably ever had ever seen drag queens, drag queens yeah. at all yeah like, this, when, this when, growing, growing up in oklahoma i was 14 years old when does rupaul like be a thing it's it's around that same time because uh, RuPaul was in the Brady Bunch movie, and the Brady Bunch mm. movie was. I saw in the, the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember that. I saw that movie in the Jan's high school guidance counselor. Uh, Come back when you're pregnant. And, and then I guess you know um, the other one would be Hairspray with Divine. Yeah, because Divine's not trans, just a big fat gay drag queen. Yeah, love Divine. But yeah, this was around the time that things started really turning on the the LGBTQ. However, many other things you put in there. I mean, I guess plus. Philadelphia. Plus, Philadelphia plus. had come out earlier <laughs> yeah. in the Philadelphia year. Philadelphia was out a couple years before or a year before. Yeah. Uh, the Crying Game. Um, the Crying Game. See, I've never seen The Crying Game. The Crying so. Game is actually it's way better movie. than I expected. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's uh, one of those, like when it came out, I was way too young for it. Oh no, yeah, I watched it a few years ago where like the power was out in this house, and me and my two roommates, uh, we were just like sitting in the backyard, and I had an iPad that was like part of my phone plan so i just used data and we sat there and we like sat on the back porch and watched the crying game and we were like damn this is really good and then the power finally came on and we went inside and watched the last 15 <laughs> minutes we're like damn never never saw the crying game don't know why that was the movie that i picked <laughs> like hey have you ever seen the crying it was like we got we're just sitting here waiting hey i mean so, it was, uh, it was one crying of game watch it on your porch award I'd... contenders of its day i mean even tu wong fu yeah. it was nominated for a couple of Golden Globes. But even the crying Patrick game. Patrick Swayze like... got nominated for Best Actor. John Leguizamo got nominated for Best Supporting oh, Actor. Oh, really? For yeah. Tu Wong Fu? For Tu Wong Fu. Damn, I gotta watch Tu Wong Fu. Uh, but even then, like, for every positive thing, there's, uh, you know, Ace Ventura, which is almost just a crying game joke. <laughs> which is, <laughs> like, one of the most fucking evil, yeah. like, evil piece of shit endings. Uh, but, I mean, you know, uh, I love that movie as a kid. But yeah, this I didn't... is where the, the mid-90s gay explosion, you know, pun not intended, but totally intended, you know, it took place because that's when things were starting to gear. T- it was it was more okay to make gay-friendly films. You know, you had The Birdcage that came out not long after this one. 
another mid '90s classic that was a favorite of mine was Threesome with uh, Stephen Baldwin, Josh Charles, yeah, and yeah. Uh, oh, Laura Flynn Blue. Yeah. Huh. yeah, I remember watching that one, going, "Oh my God, that's me!" Because it was, you know, in in typical gay movies or things like that, it was usually a guy who was dressing in drag or acted super feminine or something like that, and this was just. A yeah, you're dude like that was just a regular dude that the girls liked, but he had other interests, and it was like, oh my god, uh, this is so fucking cool. What about the Elton from Clueless too? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that one was more obvious. That's just Cher kind of being a dummy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's like oh, that thing where it's like oh, some man. people, some might, a lot of people might look back on those movies and view them as like not being being like moderately problematic, but at the time, the that's not the case. It's like they they had the right intention. But nothing really uh, ages well, especially when you, especially when you're dealing with a social issue. Considering yeah. we, per- hopefully, social those those things progress with time. This one, <laughs> I mean, we'd had some some major movies that had filmed in Nebraska before, like Terms of Endearment, filmed there when I was a kid, uh, because I remember getting to to play with the kids from the movie because oh. they were filming where my mom was working and she brought me to work to damn shame help keep the kids distracted for being a guy from Ohio or not Ohio Nebraska. From, from Nebraska <laughs> I was meant to say Omaha but I don't even know if we were from Omaha no I'm from the Lincoln Creek but yeah <laughs> the other town in Nebraska yes <laughs> but yeah it's like yeah, you've had a lot of oh, bizarre run-ins with Hollywood Hollywood-esque things oh, yeah I mean I auditioned for the real world while living in Nebraska. Tu Wong Fu, it brought more movies. Shortly after it, you had Election. Oh, uh, that's a great Payne, movie. That one God filmed. damn. I tried to watch it. Terms of Endearment, also a great movie. You had uh, Boys Don't Cry, that was based mm. on something that happened not too far from where I live. Oh, yeah, I know, uh, I know that one. What an upsetting movie. Yeah. Uh, and then, but... I mean, Alexander Payne, he brought a lot of films to Nebraska about the Nebraska area. Yeah, the movie Nebraska about Schmidt. It's a lot of late '90s stuff that like wanted to wanted to play around in those in like those places nobody talks about, mm-hmm. like Fargo, like the movies you just named, uh, A Simple Plan, a movie I just watched recently where I was like, oh, yeah. oh, nobody talks about this one enough, but it also has that thing where it's like, oh, just these forgotten parts of America and being like, oh, we can tell a story here. Yep, and it's cheaper because we're sh- not shooting in LA. <laughs> But yeah, if you've never seen Too Long Fu, check it out. It's it's worth the watch. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's head on to Fall Brawl and see what's happening there. The Brawl to Fall Them All. That's right. We get narration over shots of the competitors for the evening with a war-style animation before the Fall Brawl War Games logo Bombs comes onto the screen. And tanks. And it's purple. And it's yellow. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show, and he is joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan. For commentary, uh, you know who's not there? Mongo. Mongo. Thank you, Mongo. Number, and Eric Bischoff. Number by. He's somewhere. I'm sure he's in the back, <laughs> yeah, doing yeah. something. Yeah. They preview the matches and also tell us that the giant had come to the arena in a monster truck, running over Hogan's motorcycle. <sighs> you son of an Andre. So so WWF. Oh yeah, I say that, but you know, we had the. The uh, beach grenade with the little people, and we've had the White Castle. We had Jake in a BDSM uh, bar. We've had we've had some stuff. We've got the dungeon. Of I Doom think now. WCW's at this point is the leader in these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. 
Just, yeah, WWF is going to have their billionaire Ted skits coming up here soon, but... We can't all have... Um, they can't all be as like simple and tasteful as a Macho Man around a cauldron with Sherry. <laughs> but we head straight to our first match. Flying Brian Pillman. Like it. Versus Johnny B. Bad. Like that. In a number one contenders match okay. for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. I mean, this is where we've been missing Pillman. And honestly, I've been missing Bad, missing too. Johnny, yeah. yeah. But, like, this is where these guys belong. Yeah. Starting this, off the match hot. This was their, their spot for the longest time. Kicking off the show and setting the pace. And so. I'd say that they do it. They did it well most of the time. So Michael Buffer makes the announcements. So let's get ready to <gasps> be confettied by the Bad Blaster. And don't forget these brand new Frisbees. The man's been gone. He came back with Frisbees. Damn right. So the two men shake hands to begin before a feeling out process with each working wrist locks and headlocks, followed by both going for a drop kick at the same time. More wrist locks and arm locks shared between the two with athletic escapes before each get near falls on roll-ups. And Tony Schiavone is putting over this demeanor of Brian Pillman. He's not all smiles. Mm-hmm. He's got some uh, more of a more of a game face on. Always there's always a game face. This one feels like it's got a little bit of a frown. They now start working headlocks and chin locks when Pillman hits a backbreaker to escape and applies a Boston Crab. Flying Brian then throws a closed fist to bust open bad over his eye, but Johnny recovers to deliver a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for a two-count. Bad starts working the leg, transitioning into a modified surfboard, but Pillman makes the ropes to break the hold. The two men just start shoving each other before Flying Brian corners Johnny, catching him with a back elbow. Bad begins to fire back, which sends Pillman to the floor to regroup. But once he's back in, he asks for a handshake again, followed by a cheap shot and tossing Johnny out to the floor. Once Bad is back on the apron, Flying Brian meets him there with some right hands, biting at the cut and goes to smash his face on a turnbuckle. But Johnny reverses, forcing Pillman to eat buckle, followed by a slingshot leg drop for a near fall. I don't know if fans are uh, picking up on this uh, new mean Pillman with some uh, booze. I don't feel like we've seen him heal for quite a while. Bad goes back to a chin lock, only for Flying Brian to fight his way out, when they both try for Thez presses for a double KO. Johnny's up first, but Pillman is right there to knock him down again with a headbutt. For another double KO. Brian's up first this time to take control with turnbuckle smashes and kicking bad out to the floor. And Buffer says there is five minutes remaining. And I love the double drop kick, double Fez press for callback. Like, yeah, they're just really uh, putting on a, uh, what is the word we say for here? Clinic. Johnny makes his way back to the apron where the two men fight over a suplex, ending in Pillman being brought out to the floor. Bad follows up with a plancha before they head back into the ring, where Johnny heads up top, only for Flying Brian to meet him up in the air with a dropkick for a two count. Beautiful. I know, he just gets that, the, that, the chest, just the top of the chest. It looks so good. Yep. Pillman then telegraphs a back body drop allowing Bad to hit a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall as there are three minutes remaining. Flying Brian with a tombstone piledriver 
for the pin. And no, Johnny kicks out. Pillman then goes for a tornado DDT, only for Bad to shove him off and make a cover for a two count. Johnny then goes for an armbar as there are two minutes remaining. Looks to deliver a body slam, but Brian floats over to hit a Russian leg sweep and locks on a Koji clutch. With one minute remaining, he transitions into a three-quarter Nelson, only for Bad to fight out and deliver the tutti fruity punch for the pin. And no, Pillman's foot is under the ropes. 15 seconds left, Flying Brian springboards off the ropes with the air Pillman for a near fall. Tries for a backslide as the bell rings as time has expired. Ooh. But... Record scratch. Bum, bum, bum. The ref, Nick Patrick, makes the decision that there must be a winner. So the match continues. It's so good because these guys are fucking killing it. And if they weren't, if this wasn't so good, you'd be like, thank God, who cares? But now you're like, we're actually going to get a winner. You're like, okay, well, they're just setting it up for a rematch. But it's like, oh, wait, they said it's for number one contender. We have to have a winner. And you were so bummed that there wasn't a winner that this is kind of the perfect time to do that. I was legitimately excited fucking, you know, fucking 25 years later watching it. Was, it. it was an exciting spot right there. The only thing that brought that little moment down was that the announcers and Michael Buffer seemed to struggle with figuring out what uh, sudden death meant because it's like they were fumbling and adding extra words that didn't need to be there and... It's like the next guy. Yeah, that they're giving the guy him an extra second to, to take a breather, yeah. but it's like, come like, on. We're not going to like we're not going to boxing judge like round rules. Yeah. That'd be, like, that would be sudden death rules. I mean, yeah, first pin is usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. The two men brawl their way out to ringside, where Johnny is sent into a guardrail. Back in the ring, Flying Brian goes to the top rope, coming off with a missile drop kick, only for Bad to meet him with a drop kick of his own to send them both crashing down to the mat. Pillman's up first and he applies a sleeper, transitioning into a body scissors as well for the full effect. But Johnny reaches the ropes to break the hold. Bad then grabs a sleeper of his own, only for Brian to escape with a back suplex. Pillman puts Johnny on the turnbuckle and setting him up for a superplex. But Brian is shoved off followed by Bad flying off with a sunset flip for the pin. And no, Pillman kicks out. Johnny then goes for a powerbomb, but Brian counters with a hurricanrana that gets a near fall. It's a nasty one, too. Pillman tries for a crucifix, but Bad catches him and falls back on Flying Brian for a two count. Johnny then sets Pillman up on the turnbuckle for a super Frankensteiner, getting a near fall. He goes for another one, but Flying Brian counters it into a Tornado DDT for a two count. Pillman then heads up top, only for Bad to fall into the ropes, causing Brian to crotch himself and allowing Johnny to throw him off into the guardrail, chest first. And Pillman's arm gets caught in the steel. Bad then flies over the ropes with Tope Conheo before dragging Pillman back into the ring and attempting a slingshot splash from the apron, 
only for Brian to get his knees up, <sighs> making a cover for a near fall. Jeebus. I know, is um, fucking Johnny B. Bad been hanging out in Japan or something? Did he go do a Best of the Super Juniors we didn't know about? Because Jesus. I mean, these guys have been partners for a while, but they're just, my God. Pillman hits a rubber band slam that causes Johnny to fall out to the floor and try to regroup until Flying Brian delivers a tope suicida, which almost doesn't connect as bad was a little too far away. Oh, yeah, and it's like the towards the rampway, Brian just pancakes himself. He may have saved his head because that's the only part that got anywhere near, near the man. Yeah, more, definitely more suicida than tope. <laughs> Pillman makes his way back into the ring first, so when Johnny makes it to the apron, Brian attempts a springboard dropkick, only for Bad to duck, causing Pillman to crotch himself again. Damn it. The two men then start running the ropes, where they each go for crossbodies. But it's Johnny who lands on top, for the pin, and And the the win. Perfect finish. They tease the spot three times, Third time was the finish. Johnny Bad had the weight advantage. Welcome back to both of you. My God. What a fucking... I did not expect... Like, I, I was like, cool, this will be good. But When they're I, gone for as long as they were, you forget how good they really are. I, yeah, I meant like, this is easily the best match they've had together. This is incredible. I love this. I loved everything about this. Would you decide to put it on some kind of list? <sighs> Absolutely. I second that. This is, uh, this is, like, you know the way I feel about the match I always talk about? Kind of feel that way about this one. That match being, of course, Beach Blast 92. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I do love that Johnny uh, yells to the uh, camera, I love you, Mama, which I thought was very sweet. I love that Bobby chimes in right after that and starts making fun of him. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> Bobby's not going to let that pass. If he was, was his mama. Uh-huh. <laughs> We go to the back and Mean Gene is there with Ric Flair. And the Nature Boy puts up four fingers, saying this was a sign of excellence, as me and Arn have seen them come and we've seen them go. We bled together and at times we cried together, but we shared a bond. We never had family until we became family. But today we don't walk side by side. We go out from opposite ends of the building. Most people don't get the opportunity to be around greatness, much less touch greatness. And tonight, Double A, you are going to face greatness. Mean Gene asks him, do you hate the man? Flair says he loves him, but there's only one king of the hill, and it's gonna be me. It's gonna be me. (laughs) Oh, no. Sorry. No! The, uh, like, Flair's always a good promo always an acceptable uh promo but this he's got something to work with here so you're just like ah. it's like no i love him and you're like fuck ah, you, jesus man as if you couldn't have just been like oh rick flair and arn anderson for no reason and i would have been stoked it's like oh well you can't you'd have to be stupid to do it for no reason yeah. you do it for a promo like this absolutely yep we then go to our second match cobra Versus Sergeant Craig Pittman. Now, there was a story behind this match. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm excited to hear this <laughs> I mean, because... I was like, whoa, this I, was like match. I was like, oh, is that Firebreaker Chip? <laughs> Chip? 
So Cobra was part of the CIA Special Forces. Yes, that he's CIA. He and looks our like two a CIA men agent. had served together in Vietnam. Oh yeah, because old Cobra looks for sure old enough to have been in Vietnam. And Cobra says that Pittman left him behind on a mission, and now it's payback time. So Cobra's the face. Or yes, he's, okay. he's, he's definitely the face because as we'll about to find out what um, Pittman does. So last, which time, I mean, if he was Hogan, I guess we would be confused. So the last time we saw Cobra was at Super Brawl Four, Episode One Hundred and Twelve, as Lightning in a tag team match. Lightning. So, so he's we, not Firebreaker Chip or like no, FC, I was really FCO. Thinking that's who it was when he first started walking down. What too. was the other guy? Firebreaker Chip and. Todd Champion. Todd Champion. Yes. Yeah, that's why I thought not Firebreaker Chip. I thought Todd Champion just because he's a big old buff dude. Yeah. But even though we've seen him as Lightning, he's going to be better known as NWO Stink. Oh. This is Jeff Farmer. Okay. Jeff Farmer. Yeah. Should he have stayed on the farm? We'll answer this question after the break. So after Cobra makes his way to the ring, Sarge's music starts playing. But it's not him that comes down to the ring. It's someone from his platoon. And that person is the future Prince Iakea. Also the future artist formerly known as Prince Iakea. (laughs) A.K.A. Taft Cappy. Taft Cappy. What a name. I love that Cobra takes, uh, he does the Bret Hart gimmick. Instead of giving his glasses to a child, he gives dog dog tags to a kid. And I'm like, cool, cool idea. Yeah. Did, you, did you talk to Sting? Where he's like, well, I don't know. I just kind of do the woo different. <laughs> Cobra starts yelling at the young man to go get Pittman. When Sarge all of a sudden repels down from the raft. From the rafters. Yeah. The rafters. From the catwalk, the rafters. He comes so wait, down from the top of the building. Sarge is auditioning to be future Sting. Okay. <laughs> Pittman, it's like it's just straight out of a like uh, Goldman Globus 80s action movie, you know, all those B-action movies we love so much. Pittman sneaks behind Cobra to attack him with a bandolier, which is the gun, uh, yeah, the, gun bullet, the bullet belt. vest, mm-hmm. choking him, followed by saluting the young man, thanking him for his help. Sarge then tosses Cobra out to the floor and following out with a leaping stop off the apron. Cobra reverses a whip, sending Pittman into a ring post Posted. before they head back into the ring. Cobra then climbs to the top rope, coming off with a shoulder block, only for Sarge to avoid and lock in the code red for the submission and, and the win. Submit the code red is just an arm bar, guys. And after this match, I wrote, Cobra is kind of worthless. I'd probably leave him on a mission, too. Uh, what I wrote was weird. Everything about that was weird. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what to make of this weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, I was all confused. That's why I had to ask if, if Cobra was the face, because it made no sense to me, because you've got an army guy, a.k.a. G.I. Joe, going against Cobra. Which, when you think about it, he's the, G. Bad guy. he's the G.I. Joe, but his name is Cobra. Cobra. Which is the bad, <laughs> he's the bad guy from G.I. Joe. Yeah. G.I. Joe. That's why I was all kinds of confused with it. Like, you come in here looking like Todd Champion, but apparently you're the future Sting. And the and... other guy looks like a heel. He's got a big, mean face. Uh, <laughs> and he repelled from the ceiling. Yeah. So it's like, how is That's that the good guy? Cool. It's cool. He's like, yeah, but it's like, the other guy is 
but he's left him and all I'm saying is it didn't and then he hired a little kid to yeah. be in on the job it didn't take too much time <laughs> so I will say that no matter what it was it was quick and moderately memorable I will agree with that <laughs> yeah. we can at least be like hey this is this, sometimes this is what wrestling does <laughs> no wonder you think that we're weirdos Shivani and the Brain then discuss Paul Orndorff before they send it to a video package. I guess he had a match with Macho, and he lost, and uh, it made him weird. Mr. Wonderful has definitely been having some bad luck, and he's yelling at himself in his locker room when Gary Spivey would visit him. Uncle of Daniel. No, not true. He just had the same last name. Gary Spivey is a motivational speaker and psychic that has been on many radio and TV shows. I think he was on some Leno's oh. back in the day. Uh, I couldn't he's, stop he's, looking at yeah. his stainless steel, scrubby, painted it gray. Kind, it kind of looks like a like a if you took silly string and made like an Afro helmet. helmet out of yeah, it. Uh, it's a very funny look. But uh, he's what we'd call on the outside of the nut house as a freak. Yeah, he's a freak. Psych, psychic, get out of here. Well, Gary reminds Orndorff that he is indeed Mr. Wonderful because the people still think of him as Mr. Wonderful. Or Paula. So his close friends. Orndorff then takes a long look in the mirror before kissing his reflection. I am Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful. My, the best is the quick cuts before he shows up and it's just... Uh, Paul Orndorff doing a character that's not just a like by and by like buff heel so weird and kind of charming because we all love paul orndorff Mm -hmm. right i mean what's not to love about paul orndorff he's mr wonderful it makes me nervous though but when he kisses the mirror so funny yeah makes makes me a little nervous what the fuck they're gonna do with them i mean he uh his he had a really good showing there a couple of years ago in uh, WCW. We were, I was particularly very high on him. Yes, thank but, you, Mick Foley. But he was a huge star in the Madison uh, Square Garden era of uh, WWF. How does Paul Roma become a horseman but not Paul Orndorff? Wow, who knows? I just don't get it. Now, why does anything happen in wrestling? That's why it's so interesting. <laughs> it's just as much fun to talk about the, the weirdness, the people that should have been, people that got too much people who didn't get enough we then go to our third match diamond dallas page with the diamond doll and max muscle versus the renegade with jimmy hart for the wcw world television championship Mm -hmm. after running down to the ring and scaring ddp off he turns to celebrate with the crowd which allows page to attack from behind before hitting a Russian leg sweep. Renegade then no-sells a headbutt, which sends DDP out to the floor, where Paige is staggered enough to run into the ring post before falling into the crowd. Self-post. Renegade then drags DDP back to ringside to slam his head against the apron before rolling back into the ring, where Paige cowers backwards toward the corner before pulling the Renegade by the trunks into the turnbuckle. DDP looks to keep up the attack with more turnbuckle smashes, but Renegade blocks and delivers a back elbow and slams Paige's head instead. Renegade grabs 
a headlock. Bum, bum, bum. Before blasting DDP with a clothesline for a two count. We'll say uh, Rennie's uh, side headlock, his best looking move. He actually, His side headlock looks a little bit more intense than some other people's. There's not a whole lot of gap in it. I was... <laughs> call me crazy. Moderately impressed with his side headlock. Yeah, okay, I mean... <laughs> His side headlock definitely does look better than his clothesline. Uh, his side headlock looks better than some other guy's side headlocks. <laughs> Renegade, some wrestler's side headlocks. Renegade then misses a crossbody as Paige ducks, sending him crashing into the ropes, allowing DDP to take control with chokes along the ropes. And Paige yells at the Diamond Doll to give him a 10 for the move, which I guess this is part of his gimmick where Diamond the Diamond Doll had... Cards with numbers. Uh huh. And he have her. Yeah. See, I'm trying to remember all that. I mean, I guess now that he's in Vegas, he wants to have that, you know, ring girl image. Yeah. yeah. And she's conflicted about doing it. She of is. Because she's been conflicted about Diamond Dallas Page for eight months to a year now. They roll back into the ring where he hits a swinging neckbreaker, and he asks for another ten. DDP tosses Renegade out to the floor, but he pops right back up to come back in with a sunset flip, which Paige just drops his knees down, holding onto the ropes for a two count, only for the Renegade to then power through for a near fall of his own. Paige comes right back with a clothesline and a spear into the corner, goes for a second spear, only for the Renegade to move to avoid, sending DDP into the ring post, shoulder first. Posted. Page telegraphs a back body drop after a whip, allowing the renegade to kick him in the teeth, followed by several clotheslines and a handspring back elbow. Hey, who knew Rennie could do that? Somebody should have yeah. helped him out with the other stuff, because he did a handspring back elbow, and it doesn't look like ass. Huh. I mean, it's definitely better than any handspring back elbow that I could do. Could you, like, I just can't imagine the guy, like, the, it's all about... To getting the right distance, like you can't can't go in too deep, you can't go in too far. It's like, well, maybe he was Pe- a fucking gymnast. People who suck are usually good at like at least one thing. Uh huh. So I mean, man. look at Johnny B. Bad, uh, who at one point he all he had was the top rope sunset, and has now worked up from there. Now he's shortlisted. Now he's shortlisted. Renegade goes up top, coming off with a double axe handle for a two count, but DDP comes right back with a chin breaker followed by a DDT. Page goes for the diamond cutter, only to be shoved off into the turnbuckle, allowing Renegade to roll up DDP for the pin, and the no, Page kicks out. Muscle then jumps on the apron with Jimmy Hart walking over, yelling at him to get down, while Renegade reverses an Irish whip, sending DDP into Max to knock him off to the floor. Renegade then delivers a power slam, before heading up top for a flying splash. But instead of flying into the ring, he goes out onto muscle. Boom. What? He's as smart as the warrior, I guess. He's changing up his whole moveset. Renegade (laughs) makes his way back into the ring, but Max holds him up by his foot, allowing Paige to hit the diamond cutter for the pin and And the win. And no! Give us a 10 for that. I love... 10. 10. Fucking 10. That's a really good Jimmy Hart. Um, (laughs) That was a Varsity Blues. Oh, okay. (laughs) Reference. Okay. 
Haven't seen Varsity Blues. Close enough, I um, guess. There's Bobby Heenan. How, well, you weren't a high schooler when that came out. Never mind. No, but I remember the movie. I should have seen it, but I just never got to it. Bobby Heenan says he calls it a zircon cutter. The guy's not a real diamond. And I was like, zirconia. Cubic zirconia. Bobby Heenan. <laughs> zircon cutter. And I'm like, I know what you're trying to do here. And I know that you, like, dropped out of school when you were, like, fucking 11, but zir- cubic zirconia. I'm okay. sure that you've wined and dined a-, a lady with a fake ring before, Bobby Heenan. You just feel like that kind of guy. Or maybe uh, he hasn't. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a, I mean, we all know he's a real diamond. But zircon, it's like, what a, yeah, what a gem, pun intended. We get Tony and Bobby previewing our next match. Before we head to it, our fourth match, Harlem Heat of Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry versus the stud stable of Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater with Colonel Robert Parker for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. So the last time we saw the tag team belts, Harlem Heat had retained at Bash at the Beach in that three-way weird match. three-way match. Uh-huh, where we're like, oh, it's a three-way match. There's no way they're going to retain it because they don't have to be pinned. But, but they s- did. But since then, the stud stable had won them on an episode of WCW Saturday Night. Oh. A week after the Bash at the Beach show. Also, the last time we saw the stud stable was at Great American Bash 95, which was episode 154. So it's been a few episodes since yeah. we've seen them. Also, at the last Clash of the Champions, which we didn't cover, but this helps us understand a little bit of the story. Clash of the Titans is important, but we typically only cover it if there's a big title change or a famous match. But Clash of the Champions essentially exists to set up feuds for these shows. The way I understood it, it was like a six-person match, Harlem Heat and Sherry versus... Stud Stable and Parker. Mm-hmm. During the course of that match, Sherry hit her head. Oh, no. Which all of a sudden made her fall in love with Colonel Parker. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that it was the hit the head thing because I didn't know about them having a thing until this match. They didn't tell me that she hit her head. So this is just a, like, pure pulled out of, out of like, mid-tier sitcom yes. angle. This is a... B to C level WWF plot from a couple of years ago. Yes. Love it. I'm here for it. So Tony shills the WCW hotline while waiting on everybody to get into the ring, telling us telling us that somebody somewhere has jumped promotions. And I literally went, at this point, they could mean anybody. <laughs> yeah. Sabu. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who you have not seen. So the match gets going as Booker starts us off with a clothesline to Slater, but Dirty Dick comes back with an STF that Booker T escapes for Harlem Heat to work him over with a Stevie Ray body slam and an elbow drop for a two count. Bunkhouse has really turned up the grease on his hair. He looks grosser than ever. It's great. Slater finally makes it to his corner for Buck to come in to work on Booker, but Harlem Heat is able to make the tag to reverse their fortunes as Stevie Ray hits a clothesline and starts choking bunkhouse buck booker t's back in with a leg lariat to keep control following up with a hip toss and a knee drop for a two count stevie ray's in with a throat thrust 
that sends Buck scrambling for a tag. So when Dirty Dick comes in, Stevie continues the punishment in the corner with mounted punches, only for Slater to escape with an atomic drop and a swinging neckbreaker for a near fall. Booker's back in, only to be tossed to the ropes, where Bunkhouse Buck gets a knee to the back, followed by Dirty Dick tossing him out to the floor. Buck then hits a running clothesline with his bull rope, forcing Sherry to come help Booker T back to the ring. And they keep doing some some sister cam, and she's looking over at Colonel Rob, and he's looking back over at her, and he's just twirling a flower around in his fingers. So you're thinking Sister Sherry might not be there for them, but even though that's been happening, she's still there for her tag team right. when she needs to be. The stud stable continues to work over Booker, including a Russian leg sweep and a pile driver by Slater for a two count. Bunkhouse Buck chokes Booker T before just tossing him out to the floor, where Dirty Dick slams his head into a guardrail. Back in the ring, the stud stable continues to wear down Booker until he is able to ram Buck into the corner. Tries for a drop kick, only for Bunkhouse Buck to avoid. Slater with a back suplex for a near fall. Knees, elbows, and jabs for multiple two counts. Followed by the stud stable with a double boot to the midsection. Buck is back in with stomps and a chin lock when Booker T tries to fight back, only to be body slammed by Bunkhouse Buck. Dirty Dick with a swinging neckbreaker before rolling Book over into a Boston Crab. But Stevie Ray makes the save with a pump kick, only for Buck to come in and continue with a single leg crab. Bunkhouse Buck then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Booker T to hit an axe kick across the back before making the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Stevie's in with right hands and a body slam on everybody, clotheslines the Slater to leave him dangling on the ropes, followed by a power slam to Buck. Stevie Ray makes the cover, only for Dirty Dick to break it up. Booker and Slater then begin to brawl in a corner, while Bunkhouse Buck pulls Stevie through the ropes to the floor, allowing Bunk to help Dirty Dick with double team fists. Stevie Ray's back in to break up the pin when the camera pans out, so we get the full view of both rings, and we see Sherry and Colonel Parker standing on the apron of the second ring across from each other. Sister Sherry starts to crawl seductively towards Parker, <laughs> while in the other ring, Booker T clotheslines Buck and himself over to the floor, followed by Stevie charging at Slater, only for Dirty Dick to avoid. The two managers then start making out when the Nasty Boys run down to the ring, knocking out Slater with his own boot, allowing Stevie Ray to make the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. And new again. Post-match, Bunkhouse Buck isn't too happy with the Colonel. While Harlem Heat doesn't seem too happy with Sherry either. It's all part of her psychology, is what she says. It's all part of the psychology. It's okay. We won. Shivani tells us that earlier in the night on Main Event, the show that happened as the kind of like the pre-show for the pay-per-view, the stud stable had cost the Nasty Boys a match with the American males. Ooh. So this was all retaliation. 
Mm-hmm. At least they, you know, at least they kind of waited till the end of the finish, set something up. Bobby Heenan says, boy, if, about them making out, boy, if he got any closer, he'd be behind her. And yeah. I said, Jesus Christ, Bobby, that's pretty graphic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We get Mean Gene in the entryway to catch up with Buck and Parker. And Bunkhouse Bugs tells the colonel that he is all out of sorts. But Parker says he is serious about that young lady. But he will help them get another match. And his heart is soaring like an eagle. And he feels like he's 20 years old. I love that, uh, I love that in the back there's the Jumbotron, the series of like nine televisions or whatever. Yeah. But they're just like replaying the kiss over the like shoulders of the men during the interviews. And it's just so great and so well framed. Oh, Sherry. You didn't have to take a bump. You had to make out with old Parker. Mm, she's like, ah, I'm bumped out, guys. <laughs> You've seen these crazy, all these crazy splashes I've done. She may have taken a bump before she made out with Parker. Uh, they mean, probably took some bumps. Wrestling together. in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Anything's possible. Wrestling in the '90s from wrestlers in the '80s. We then get an ad <laughs> for Halloween Havoc. Before we go to the back with Mean Gene, there with Arn Anderson. Ooh, Mean Gene is out of breath. He had to run there. Oakland sends us to a video package about the history of the Enforcer and Flair, where we get multiple highlights where the two have shared the ring and helped each other out, including when they lost to Vader at the last Clash of the Champions. Nature Boy had alienated everybody ever since Hogan had gotten here, because he strives to be number one, and Anderson disapproves of some of Nature's tactics during a match which would cause even more problems when they decide to face each other in this match. We go back live with Double A, and he says, I loved and hated with a passion and a vengeance. Everybody has had that family member where you had to just grab them and shake them because words no longer matter. We are brothers, but it's something that has to happen because in the morning, I have to answer to me. Okerlund then sends it back to Tony and Heenan, Asking them what they thought of this match. I love he says, I'm a nervous wreck, and I've loved you more than God. And I'm like, God damn, Arn. Ah. And see, I thought as he was talking about the, in the morning, I have to answer to me. All I could think of was Mr. Wonderful standing in front of the mirror. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. I'm Mr. Wonderful. And you've got Arn. I'm the enforcer. Double A. <laughs> oh, it would be, like, as much as we love Paul Warndorf. Double A doing something that goofy is a little much. Orndorff, he's been around longer. He did a bucket on the head. Uh, he came out. He did do a bucket on the tied head. Tied up. He did a bucket on the head, but he didn't talk to himself in a mirror. To a to ramen man. So that leads us right into our fifth match. The Enforcer, Aaron Anderson, versus the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And we get a handful of the boys, such as the American Males, Brian Pillman, Big Bubba Rogers, Eddie. Colonel, Colonel Parker. Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero all watching from the front row. We get a feeling out process until a shoving match breaks out. One second. There's Flare 316 signs. Is there? Yes, there's mo- there's a Flare 316 sign. You see it multiple times mm-hmm. on the intro for Arn and the intro to Rick. So I had to do some research right before this gets started. Okay. I had to do some research. Austin probably pulled that from, I believe, in the 80s and 90s. 
there was a fan of he may have been a college football team or whatever, but it was a sign that was infamous and used at large sporting events throughout the 80s and 90s, something whatever 316. So the John. Rick 316, it was probably John, but it might have been the sports team or whatever. But uh, I think he was like a weird religious fanatic and sports team fanatic. Maybe I'll look it up and we'll talk about it after the show's over. But either way, the 316 thing was already in the ether. So there's a probably why Stone Cold that was in his head enough to pull from for his famous Possibly, promo. But with the, the famous promo, Jake was already doing little preacher things. Yeah, I guess he was as well. That's but this 316 I mean, thing, like seeing Flair 316. Talk about your Psalms. It blew my mind because I obviously talk knew Austin. Talk about your John 316. Austin 316 said, I just whipped you. Yeah, ass. but even with his preacher thing, the John 316, it also being one of the most famous Bible passages, mm-hmm. that being a large sporting event phenomenon of some degree. It just kind of opened my eyes in a weird way. What if Psalm, Psalm blah, 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 blah. John 3.16 was like the official religious or Bible quote of the World Fair of 1964? <laughs> <laughs> you got there. It was in your head. I saw it. <sighs> Sorry. It's that Agent Orange. It's melting my brain. Double mm-hmm. A slaps Nate to send him out to the floor to regroup. Back in the ring, Arn works over the arm when Flair shoves him off, only for the Enforcer to slap him once more. The two men go to the mat back and forth, with Anderson getting the advantage to start working the arm again. Back to their feet, the Nature Boy delivers a chop that stings Double A, but then runs into an elbow in the corner, allowing Arn to apply a sleeper. Nate backs the Enforcer into the corner to break the hold, but Anderson leaps off the second rope with a knee, before delivering a hammerlock slam and start working the arm once more. After, like, Arn slaps Rick for the second time, Bobby Heenan, distraught, just says, What's wrong here? Because it's like these two best friends are heels. Bobby's obviously going to be, been rooting for them forever. And he just says, It's Hogan! And I'm like, Thank you, Bobby. Mm -hmm. We all know what's wrong here. You've been talking about, you were drunk on air a few times over it. I mean, these are two of his... His former boys. He respects these men. They're part of the Heenan family at one point. They're very respectful men. Double A then drags Flair to the corner to slam the arm against the ring post. Post. Before hitting an arm breaker DDT and lock on an arm bar. Why doesn't he call it an arm bar? Might as well. (laughs) The nature boy begins to fire up, unloading with chops, only for Arn to whip him into the corner for the Flair flip. But Nature lands on the apron, ducking a charging enforcer. To send him over the ropes and to the floor. I love that Rick just goes through the motions because, you know, muscle memory realizes that Arn knows better and escapes to the floor. Like, he doesn't, can't outrun him, knows it's coming, falls to the floor. It's less bad than the clothesline to the floor. The Nature Boy then comes off the top turnbuckle with a double axe handle out to the floor before hitting several chops in right hands. Back in the ring, Flair keeps up the attack with stomps, chops, rolling knee drops, before making a cover with his feet on the top rope for several two counts. I mean, Arn's a big, beefy boy. Anderson firing up himself, blocking Nature's attack, and delivering right hands and a back body drop of his own for multiple two counts. Flair then begs off, 
as Double A cocks back, but the ref blocks the blow, allowing the Nature Boy to cheap shot Arn. The Nature Boy then tosses the Enforcer out to the floor, following out to deliver a chop, but then charges into a back body drop. Arn begins to punch away, and he goes for a suplex, but Flair blocks and reverses it for one of his own. We get back in the ring and Nate with a stalling suplex mm. that takes it out of both of them. So it's a delayed cover by Flair for a two count. More chops from the Nature Boy before sending Arn to the ropes, where Flair telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Anderson to go for a sunset flip. But Nate stays up and punches down. But Double A has moved. Arn then sends Nature Boy to the corner for another flare flip, but he gets tied up in a tree of woe instead, allowing the Enforcer to take his boots to him. Anderson calls for the DDT, only for Nate to hook the top rope to block him, but we do get a flare flop. The Nature Boy is up first, and he heads to the top turnbuckle, only for Double A to meet him there to press slam him off to the mat. Here the press slam. Arn then comes off the second rope, only for Flair to clothesline him out of midair before locking on the figure four. No. After a few moments, the enforcer is able to turn the hold over, forcing Nate to release it. The Nature Boy then chop blocks Anderson from behind, and he goes for the figure four again. But Double A counters with a small package for a near fall. And the crowd is hot. Flair continues to work the knee to the point that Arn collapses to the mat on an Irish whip. All of a sudden, Brian Pillman hops on the apron, yelling at Nate, with Flair just telling him to fuck off. So Flying Brian decks him from behind, with the Nature Boy retaliating. Once Flair turns his attention back to Double A, Pillman kicks him in the back of the head, staggering him long enough for the Enforcer to deliver a DDT for the pin and the win. Hmm. I mean, did we think Arn Anderson was going to win? I kind of hoped he would. No. no. Did we hope Arn Anderson was going to win? Yes. yes. Did we want Arn Anderson to win like this? No. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, it too. Because it puts the heat on fucking Flying Brian. Yeah, I'm okay with it as well because Rick's not going to lose without that. And Arn's not going to pin Rick Without that, because Arn's that kind of guy, Rick's that kind of guy, we know where, they know, they're close enough to understand where they are on the totem pole, and they understand that Pillman is potentially the future, and they had, like, we went through the moves of this match, but all the intangibles are what makes it and what proves these guys are just better than everybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the fact, that, I mean, obviously they know each other, but they've never had a match against each other uh, as Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Maybe they did 15 years ago that we don't know about, but not in any meaningful way. But here, it's meaningful, but it's the intangibles. It's the, the uh, relationship. It's, it's all the things in between. The things that we miss today now, where a lot of, like, we see things where people do incredible physical stuff, but... It's the selling, it's the emotion, it's the fact that these guys know each other. It's Arn Anderson just pointing at Ric Flair and like it giving you chills. 
so like here that makes Pillman showing up it actually helps Pillman as opposed to him showing up in the middle of a as much as we love Dustin Rhodes a Dustin Rhodes bunkhouse buck match yeah. like this is a totally different stratosphere and it just makes me wonder because I can't remember if this is going to push Arn and Flair back together in that whole nobody comes after my brother except for me yeah mentality and gives Pillman the official heel turn yeah but I mean like honestly I don't think this could have been done any more intelligently in a like wrestling format well I'll let you know at the next pay-per-view you will see more of this combo okay so I just looked it up and this is the first time that they had ever been on opposite sides of the ring. I mean... At least on listed on cage match. Yeah, like how we said uh, that we'd seen Pillman and Bad against each other a bunch of times, and they just legitimately pulled the best out of each other. Mm-hmm. Arn and Rick are friends, incredible wrestlers, some of the best to have ever done the thing. Uh, first match, and uh, it could... I don't think it could have been done any better at this point in time with the history the two men have. Yeah. The only thing that could be better, which would be changing history, is that if Hogan wasn't here and maybe uh, Rick had the belt, that would have been great. I would have loved that. But considering that they're technically the second tier of WCW, like this is kind of perfect. Tony then sends us to a video package where we see the Taskmaster warning Hogan about the dangers of the War Games match with the most annoying voice ever. Fala! Oh. Sound like that. You guys don't like the um, Taskmaster promo? Uh, no. I thought no, it was not, not with that voice. I thought it was kind of fun. He crunches the roses. I like his frost dad, his, his giant frost dad. With, like, the frosty beard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm having, trying to have fun. Because I know that I'm, it's not going to be very fun. So I'm trying to have fun now. We then see video of the giant and his monster truck running over Hogan's bike before the show. Which I was uh, happy to see because I talked about it earlier. But this is the kind of thing they should have shown two or three times. Because he really smashed the shit out of that motorcycle. Yeah. And I don't know how much a motorcycle costs, like twelve grand or something, thirteen grand, sixteen grand, twenty grand. Who knows? But either way, he was smashed the shit out of that motor. It's a Harley. Yeah. Eric Bischoff only rides Harleys. We go back to Shivani in the Brain, who preview the match before they send us to another video package, where we get highlights of all the competitors in our main event, before seeing the Dungeon of Doom taking down Hogan at Mountain Doom. Hulk has declared war. So we recruited some help, and now that Vader is AWOL, they have brought in Sting's friend, Lex Luger. Bum, Details bum, bum. available on the hotline, y'all. Uh, I love the package. I love the crummy dungeon with like the purple lighting, and Hulk Hogan being in that situation is very funny. And then I love the image of Sting and Macho Man behind a fucking fifty caliber minigun. <laughs> And then, like, just, like, flames. And there's, like, just looks like a really bad set of, like, a fan-made remake of Predator. It's awesome. We go to the back Mean Jeans there with Hogan, Savage, Sting, and Luger. And Hulk says... 
I just drank a couple gallons of Agent Orange, so I'm pervious to pain. And Macho's asked if there's any dissension in the group. Because, you know, last time we saw Luger and Hogan, they were kind of shoving each other in the middle of the ring. I mean, Luger showed up and he's like, hey, I'll team up with you, but I want my title match down the line. And Savage basically says, united we stand, devastating is what we are. I mean, that was a good line. Savage is always good. But this uh, this promo was very weird and very over the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody got their two cents in. It was for four guys trading the mic. It was better than a lot of times we've seen four guys trade the mic. Yes. I will say Especially that. Especially when Hogan was probably like, just just don't worry, guys. I got this. Yeah. The Agent Orange, Agent Orange thing is the standout. Obviously, it inspired... Our uh, the gasoline that will get us through right. match six of the brawl to follow them all. So the cage gets lowered with Pyro, followed by Mean Gene doing narration over the rules of our match. And we will not be telling you the rules. We've no. done it in so many episodes. Not doing it. Yep. Too, there's too many rules. Yeah. But we head to our sixth match: the Dungeon of Doom of Zodiac, Shark, Kamala, and Ming, with the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Versus the Hulkamaniacs of Macho Man Randy Savage, Sting, Lex Luger, and Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart in a War Games match. Oh my goodness. And there's a stipulation. If the Hulkamaniacs win, then the Taskmaster must face Hulk Hogan one-on-one in the ring for five minutes. I know earlier Hogan said, I just want my five minutes with Taskmaster, Taskmaster and... They didn't tell us that at all until after his promo when Michael Buffer allows us in on that information. We haven't seen Shark since Uncensored 95, episode 146, back when he was Avalanche. Do you guys notice anything new about the Shark? Shark, John Tenta, the sumo man of my heart, the earthquake. He has a shark tattoo? He covered up. He used to have the tiger tattoo. It's covered up. I was like, is it on his other arm? No. He covered it up with a giant shark tattoo. And I just thought that that was commitment and funny. And also, maybe it looks a little better than his bad shark tattoo. But I've never seen a man with just one bad tattoo cover up his one bad tattoo with another kind of bad tattoo. (laughs) So I just think it's funny and I love him. So Sting and Shark start us off with the big man using his size for an advantage before using his teeth to chomp away. Oh, He's a biter. He learned it from Hogan. Sting avoids an avalanche splash in the corner and looks to hit a stinger splash, but Shark just heads into the other ring, only for the stinger to fly over the ropes for a clothesline. Sting then slams the Shark, but it hurts his back. But he still decides to try a second one, only for the big man to land on top of him. The stinger's back is then worked on by a shark hug. How does he? How do the fins reach behind the back? Sting's not like he stings a big man, but he's not that big. But he escapes with some ear claps. The shark then thinks that he is Sting, and he attempts to leap over all the ropes for a splash. Oh my gosh! But he gets caught across the top rope of both rings. He got caught in that shallow water, man. Allowing the stinger to deliver some gut kicking followed by Sting leaping over the ropes for a splash, only for the big man to catch him and throw him down to the mat. Shark then climbs over the ropes to enter the ring, straddling him for a moment to gloat, 
allowing the stinger to kick him, causing the big man to crotch himself. Sting starts working the legs, clamping on a scorpion deathlock as the first period expires. And what do you know? The Dungeon of Doom win the toss. So Zodiac is in next. I love that Zodiac is does isn't like dressed like the sketch of like the Zodiac killer, uh, which probably wasn't as widely available at that point in time because of the internet and uh, David Fincher didn't make a fucking movie about it yet. But still, he's a zebra. He's just painted like a zebra. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah he's, the is not even part of the like. Zodiac. Signs. I mean, you got a shark, so why not have a zebra? The stinger grabs hold of the top of the cage to hit multiple swinging kicks to knock the man formerly known as the Butcher away before body slamming him and trying for a scorpion deathlock on him. Shark makes the save and they start to double team sting with chokes, splashes, and double team clotheslines. The stinger comes right back with a double clothesline of his own, but it doesn't phase the shark. So Sting is then thrown into the cage. As the period ends. Here's my joke. Taskmaster must have been high as draft pussy when he came up with the Zodiac. I'm just trying to bring it back to the gotcha. zoo. <laughs> Macho Man enters and goes to town on the Dungeon of Doom, putting a Boston crab on the Zodiac, but then the shark clocks him over the head with a spin. <laughs> Ming and Kamala start pulling Sting's arm underneath the cage from the floor to continue to work him over. Zodiac is choking Savage before the Stinger makes the save to see everyone brawl for a bit until Shark delivers a power slam. Now Ming and Kambala are pulling Macho's leg underneath the cage to work those over. Sting hits a clothesline and several elbow drops on Zodiac while Savage is tossed in the cage by Shark as the period ends. And Randy Anderson has been getting pretty involved lately because he sees them grabbing at the leg and he's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's like, I, I had the balls to pull Hulk Hogan's hair. So I have no issue messing with you guys. Kamala comes in to work over the stinger while Shark hits an atomic drop on Macho. Everybody's brawling away when the period ends and Lex Luger hits the ring, wiping the Dungeon of Doom all out with clotheslines. Lex then helps Savage send Zodiac into the cage, followed by Macho coming off the top rope with a double axe handle on Shark. The Hulkamaniacs have the advantage with each of the Dungeon of Doom members when Luger misses a clothesline on Zodiac and accidentally nails Savage from behind. So it begins. Macho starts fighting with Lex, causing Sting to have to break it up as the period ends, and Ming comes in to hit everybody with headbutts and kicks. More brawling and choking as the period ends, and Hogan makes his way in. Throwing powder into everyone's eyes. Everybody but Shark. He's only got three powders, not four, but it's like, dog. What are you doing with the powder? Don't throw it at the biggest guy in the ring, by all means. You're not the taskmaster. Also, even Bobby Heenan points out that if he was managing this team, Earthquake would have gone in last because he's the biggest guy. So he's going to have, like, it's so silly that they put Earthquake in first. Is what it is. I love Ming. Ming probably has the best. It's probably because he's a shark card. now. He's yeah, a shark. he's a shark. But Ming has the best like cardio of those guys. Uh, I'd imagine. Right. Just saying. Another well, thing I noticed about the shark, he has a like wrist brace on. That looks like that, teeth. That just says shark on it. But I was like, mm-hmm. did he actually hurt his wrist? And he's like, well, I'll just put some. I'll just write shark on it. And put like some teeth on it. I don't know. We also get the best line 
of the entire show right here. Oh my gosh, bring it to me. I don't think I have it. It's kind of like Bosnia in a cage. <laughs> oh, Babby. He, hasn't, he couldn't point it out on a map. Mr. Zircon himself. More brawling with Hulk taking on everyone, followed by throwing the Dungeon of Doom guys into the cage several times, shared by all of the Hulkamaniacs. Hogan throws Zodiac into the cage one more time before locking on the camel clutch for the submission and the win. And it's so funny because he puts it on and um, uh, Tony Schiavone, I don't know what Tony Schiavone calls it, but then uh, Bobby Heenan says, uh, that's the camel clutch. That's the The movie famous famous by by the Sheik. Sheik. We all know the Sheik, Hogan, like the famous lore behind that. Which is like, you know... It's still uh, burning to this day. Yeah, some... some uh, I don't know if justice is the right word, but it's... Uh, Check Twitter. It's, it's poetic. Fuck Hogan on a daily basis. Yep, but uh, I just thought it was funny that Tony Schiavone didn't say, Oh, the camel clutch. It's like, the thing you would say is that... It's like, it's far enough away that like even Vince couldn't get mad about that. As if he's watching it. Yep. Bruce Pritchard will tell him. Post-match, security stops the taskmaster from leaving down the aisle. Forcing him into the cage... Alone. They pass him off to Sting. Sting's got to get something here. Sullivan is then thrown into every side of the cage by Hogan multiple times. Uh, Seven times. I counted it. Potentially eight, but at least seven. They then go outside of the ring where he's thrown into the cage. Again. Again. Which doesn't even make sense. They don't go to the floor. They go to like the steps and then like from the steps because the cage is flush with the uh, outside of the apron. And he like just kind of like pushes them like this, where it's like, doesn't even make any sense. They go back into the ring, and Hulk hits a clothesline and starts using some tape to choke Sullivan before hitting the big boot. Ah, uh, the wrist tape. The wrist tape that he's choking the back of his neck with. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the giant makes his way down the aisle, throwing Randy Anderson aside to enter the cage. The giant then bounds himself over each set of ropes to be in the same ring as Hogan. Kind of the most impressive stuff I've seen yeah. the giant do. He is pretty uh, nimble. Yeah, young young giant doing that kind of stuff is the stuff that I miss him doing just in general. And they're talking about how they're pulling comparisons, of course, to Andre here all over the place. He grabs Hogan from behind by the neck. The same way Andre did. All those years ago. (laughs) Hulk turns and starts to fire away to no avail. So the giant grabs Hogan by the throat and snaps it. Uh, It's actually, considering we've seen head snaps in wrestling for years since this, this one actually looks pretty good. Oh yeah, like Uh, Hogan does a good job. Him doing it, well no, I was going to say him doing it looks good. Hogan's reaction looks like somebody from a Steven Seagal movie. I think Hogan's reaction it looks pretty good, honestly. Nah. I was impressed. I know you got those orange glasses <laughs> on. Uh, I try to give them flowers when I can. And I thought it looked pretty good. Sting, Luger, and Savage all run back down to the ring to make the save, sending the giant and the Taskmaster out the other side of the cage. We then hear Buffer yelling for the paramedics over the loudspeaker as Tony says his goodbyes. And Bobby Heenan and Bobby's says, Bobby's laughing his ass off. Hulkamania is through! <laughs> and the show goes to credits. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Fall Brawl 95? Uh, outside of the War Games match, uh, I think the show kind of rocks. 
I kind of like the show a whole lot. I don't like the War Games match. Surprise. I do think that the finish of Hogan getting his neck snapped in the ring and actually selling it to where he's on his back, surrounded by his friends as the camera leaves the show is good and honestly pretty nice thing for Hogan to do, a guy that doesn't do nice things for other people. He Granted, he's creating a monster that he's trying to make money off of, but how often does Hogan end a show not standing for five minutes to his theme song? Exactly. He, even he when he loses or whatever. Or even somebody else loses for him because he's unable to or something silly happens, whatever. But here he actually, like, is it, the show ends with him in peril. So I'll give him a big up for that. I think the War Games match might be one of the most boring ones, but it's hard to remember the boring ones. Because there's a lot of them. We talked about it early. That's kind of why I brought it up early in the show. Was what do you when you think of war games? What are the things you think of? And I told you the three things I think of, and none of them are particularly spectacular, but they are. When I brought them up, they you guys at least remember them. But the rest of the show I think is awesome, and the stupid match is at least hilarious and like two minutes long. Of our CIA Cobra thing is at least a bizarre oddity. That is kind of worth five minutes on YouTube, right? I, I could send that to somebody that doesn't like wrestling, and they would just get a kick out of it. They might not be laughing their ass off, but they wouldn't be like, "Why did you send this to me?" I'd be like, "I sent it to you because it's fucking funny." And there's two ma- two matches on the show that I adore. Let's see. And a tag team match that I was impressed by. I think Bunkhouse and Slater were really good here. I think that the story was fun, and I think that. Everybody brought heat. See, I feel like that match is too long. It's probably too long, but I think match? that it's the tag match. Yeah, I think, but I, mean, I was still, yeah, too many of them. Stud Stable long. works a southern style, and Harlem Heat needs a little bit more up pace for them to be impressive. I think so, but I think the I think the Stud Stable was. Less boring than I've seen them previously. I feel like they brought. I mean, it I thought they a little just, bit. They worked over each other way too long. That yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm not, I, I ain't gonna lie. That's my least favorite match on this show. Yeah, I will. I mean, outside of the funny I'll, match, I'll take the war games match just because I know that's it's war games. Okay, yeah, so I'll, I, yeah. I, I get it. I can't why agree. It's with, what it is. Can't agree with that. I kind of liked the way it was put together. It was too long, but. It is what it is. What else? Are we it's actually talk? the short. I think it's actually the shortest war games match there is. Oh no! I meant the the tag match oh, was yeah. too long. Well, the war games match too wasn't too long, but it was nothing happened. Nothing ever happens in those war games. That's matches. true. That's, That's the, why the things that I remember are the last one are was dungeon or the or uh, Booker T, aka Kane or Cole, because mm-hmm. I can't remember which one he was. Pillman is the most memorable thing from War Games, really. The Shockmaster or something Probably. like that with a choke slam, or I don't remember what the hell it was. It was something yeah. nothing. It doesn't matter. It, yeah. does. <laughs> it really doesn't. Yeah, it's not even worth talking about. Yeah, I mean the the bulk of the show, there was there was lots of enjoyable things on here. I mean we've got a, a short list match that made the list. You've got Flair and, and Anderson. I think Flair and Arn even has short. It, I don't has shortlist vibes for me just because I was emotionally uh, invested. Yeah. Just because I love just, the guys. There's I love the match, many... but I don't know if it's 
shortlist quality. No, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's not far from that. Like, it's not. It's a, the, on the long list, not on the short list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like, I could see it being there. But it doesn't help. This whole show is on the long list. I thought it was a pretty easy watch, but I <laughs> kept the last match. I watched all of the show and was pretty wildly entertained. And I was like, well, I can't watch this see, war games match. I got to cheated go yourself by doing that because. You stopped when everything was all glossy and rosy and wonderful and fine, and that was how you left yourself to remember it. And then you watched the War Games match. Maybe, but that wasn't even Max Lee's favorite. And that just became its own little. That is true. Show. It is true that I, there was forty, like legitimately, probably forty minutes that like I watched a like two-hour show, and I watched a really good two-hour show, and then there was a forty minutes, which could make a huge difference if I watched it all in one sit. I'm going to say that the reason the War Games match doesn't bother me is because of the ending of the ma- of, of the segment, I guess I should say, not it's, the match. Yeah, it's kind of like a... The giant coming out and doing what he does, it kind of like, I can see the light at the end of the Hogan Tunnel, and it kind of gets me a little bit excited that... And also, I didn't expect the giant might to, do something to be as here. nimble as he was. Like, when he was just hopping over those ropes so, so confidently, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I just never, like, yeah, I've I mean, seen him as the big show. I've seen him in WWF. He didn't move like that. That's, that's 22, 23-year-old yeah. youngster. He has, not had, he has never had a match at all at this point. Yeah, but, like, just, that's He, he is a power plant guy. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just, yeah, he, he looks good, he's big, and I also, it's like, who knew the Big Show was was kind of handsome here in 95? He's got a nice little face, his little stubble and long hair, but, I mean, Pillman and how many, I don't know if there's enough uh, flowers and five miles for me to throw at Pillman and... Uh, yeah, we need a, a bad blaster. And, yeah, we, with, yeah, with, yeah, with flowers, flowers and, and confetti. Mm-hmm. My God. I just, yeah, especially... I was kind of nervous because Pillman had a few rough spots on that first Nitro. Still a great match. Love the match. But here, second quote-unquote big match back. And they did they did magic. It was magic. I think it, it was why we watch wrestling is kind of how I feel about that match. It's what the short list entails. It's like, oh, when, you're, when it's, the match is over and you're like, that's why I put myself through this shit sometimes is for things like that, where it all comes together and like the guys are just like on the the right wavelength with, you don't even necessarily need the right history, but there is history between these guys and it's not like Arn and Flair. We just know we've seen these guys have matches a bunch of times. So it means something when they go the distance for only a title shot. It's not even like for an actual belt, but like they leave it all out there just for that. So that already makes whatever belt they're going for next even that much more important because of the like knockdown dra- drag out show they put on. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? There. All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of the show? It's like Bosnia in a cage. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bobby saying, oh, "What does he say? Uh, what's what's the matter? Or like, what's 
what's wrong with them during the Rick and Hogan. Uh, and, and Hogan's what's wrong. And, yeah, and Double A is like, ah, he's just like mad with uh, frustrated with himself. It's like I don't know who to cheer for. Blah blah blah. And then uh, he's like, oh, I know it's Hogan, and it's just mm, Bobby. You're so so sweet, so smart. The one and several of the uh, dropkick moments from the uh, Pillman and Bad match where one's coming off the rope, the other one is drop kicking up at them. Uh, Bobby's maniacal laugh at the end of the show with the <laughs> death great. of Hulkamania. Yes. I'm going to even throw in there the... the Pittman, coming Pittman. Off his, Pittman coming off the top? Well, just that whole thing was just like... A fever dream. Yeah. It was weird enough to make me want to know what the fuck was going on. and Short enough to not get angry at it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a... It was just a... Like... An, an oddity of, of and of then a just segment. trying to remember why do I not remember either of these guys really? I mean, I know we've seen Pittman in a match already on one of the other shows. But yeah, I think you guys give that match much more grace than I do. It's, it's just, I just think that it's charming. it's the comic I, relief I needed to, in between those super long matches. Yeah, it's I think it's just kind of the bad bad charming, the good bad charming of it all. Renegade doing his Muda homework. Uh, I already forgot about the Randy match. I mean, <laughs> that's the longest one. I don't think it was. Oh, it's not a good match by any means, but, but yeah, but yeah, I'd save that for most. I'd rather have that. I'd rather have that go longer, <laughs> and then and the uh, Pittman Cobra thing be like the sweet spot of like of a, of a smirk, whereas the other thing's just forgettable, and that's fine. Cobra, his only offense was an Irish whip. Like it, yeah. It's a pointless match. Yeah, like I said, there's no. The only flowers we did, I gave we was did the way headlock. too. We did way too much for that, for it not to be anything. I mean, the only reason it went that long was because they had to fucking convince him that it like, was okay. Take five, to five minutes off the tag match him. and actually give them, you know, five minutes to actually have like a competitive match and maybe I'm like or, or okay. give us an intro, a little more of an intro to it, so we know really what the fuck was going on because. I mean, it was just an excuse Don't to put a belt him. on Paige, who's a good heel, and to get Rennie out of the picture. And it did that. And I assume Rennie's out of the picture. But we'll find out soon enough. How about most disappointing? The tag match for me. See, I, I don't feel that way. I can see the tag there, there, match there was just bit. There was just too much working over each other. Like I said earlier, yeah. I, Harlem Heat needs a quicker pace for them to... To be fun. Yeah, but I, I think that it was a. For me, it, was, it was just a clash of styles that a, didn't work for a me. A nice breath from them and the nasties. I mean, I'm not going to say the the ending, the whole Sherry Colonel Parker stuff. It's fun. That's fun. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's just I don't feel like these two teams match up well. I I, I in think style. That, I think that that like floating over the whole match, that being like the the oeuvre around this kept me engaged to forgive the length a little bit. I obviously cannot forgive the, com- the actual length of it. But if it was going to be, I'd rather have it longer than the War Games match longer. It was longer than the War Games match. No, it, yeah, I and mean, I'm saying that if I would rather have more time there than I would later in the War Games match. Because right. you didn't care either way. I Michael need both. Needs time. 
both those. No, yeah, I mean, I'm saying if we're splitting, if we're splitting it up, if we're I making mean, that match ten minutes. I, match, my, 10 perso- minute match, my personal one, opinion: yeah. every single match went too long. Yep. Every single match went too long. Yeah, they could have put on, they could have put a, like some blue bloods in here or something, and had some other kind of match. I'm not mad at the first match, obviously. I still love Arn Flair. But... See, I think Arn Flair went too, like went too long. Yeah, yeah. Arn Flair went too long. Like, Johnny and Brian, Johnny and they theirs didn't necessarily go too long. It was just the explanation for it after it went into overtime. If you're gonna need a a winner, why even set a fucking time limit? Just let them wrestle. That's true. It's just a, it was, I mean, it's all for it's all for uh, heightening the uh, tension. Tension. And, yeah. And I think Which that it did, did it well. It, it worked on me. It does work. Yeah. I mean, I say it's too long because it does go like 28 minutes, and should you start off a pay-per-view with a 28-minute match? I would say no. Probably but not. If it's this good, then maybe. But if I hadn't seen these guys wrestle for the last five years, then or four years, or however long, three years, then I would probably, might feel differently about it. If I just popped into this show, it might be a different story. But I have that context that got me pretty hyped. This, for a six-match quote-unquote six seven match show taskmasters gets beat down we can call it a match if we want whatever but this should have been an eight or nine match show if we trimmed we could have got another we could have got i mean probably just would have put another uh tag team match somewhere yeah it would have been nice if we got like a regal orndorff in there or something you know just as a just for just to Give an example. Like, we have guys. We got guys. Yeah. Unfortunately, we wouldn't have got a Regal Orndorff. We would have gotten a Blue Bloods versus American Males or something like that. Yeah. Which. Nasty Boys versus American Males. They yeah. would have put that show from the main event onto the main card. Yeah, yeah. So if that's the case, then I'm not mad here. Best performer of the night. It's Pillman for me. Because he goes from when we first seen his face and he just gradually turns heel. In 28 minutes. And then when he comes and kicks Flair, it's the full heel turn. Yep. I mean, this show is kind of the show for Pillman and the but it also does. But if you also think about it, it does the double turn for Flair and Arn as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it turns... Uh, and it. And so that's what I was trying to Also, remember. it if puts it... over Johnny B. Bad maybe in like the biggest way where even if you were a... Even if you were like a smart fan at this point in time, you couldn't hand wave Johnny B. Bad completely after that. And now you get Johnny versus Sting, after Sting's had all these weird fights over the last however many months. Spoiler alert, both of them end up getting title shots. Just letting you know. I don't know if yeah. we see either one of them, but, but just yeah, let you know that both, of, both yeah. of them do get title yeah. shots. Um, Pillman and Johnny both get them? Yep. Oh. Okay. Um, so this match kind of was see, like, it they, was a good they, match. Seriously, they had no idea what sudden death meant, so that yeah. makes perfect sense. Uh, the other, yeah, I mean... Flair is always Flair. He's always Bobby. Bobby's always Bobby. Bobby being I think Bobby. That, I think pissed off Arn. Arn with a grudge, I love because it's the subtle things that are all very I believable. Lo- I, I should have gone back to most. I, I, I wanted Flair to get spine bustered so bad. Me too, so bad because he does the stalling. He does the stalling suplex yep. on uh, Arn, and it's not quite a brain buster, but like that's the whole reason they did that was for us. Was for us to see Ric Flair. I mean, at one point, him. at one point, they land. I think it's after the stalling suplex, and you can kind of see them laughing. Yeah, 
they were having because a they're blast. just like having a blast here. Yeah. yeah, but I think that yeah, I think that match is beautiful. I think that Arn really he's so good at being in without minus the times where he's got a bucket on his head. Like in a serious match, he's so good at being serious uh, and being serious in a believable way. The pointing, the slap, the yelling, uh, the body language, like. He's got it all outside of a full head of hair. How about most surprising? I'm going to throw back to your renegade Muda. Yeah, I'm like studying gymnastics. Muda. I feel like we almost we may have seen him do a handspring back elbow before, but maybe not. We probably just saw oh, something. I would have remembered that. I feel like I would have too. But I remember seeing it and being like, Because I, I remember watch. I remember seeing it, and I, as soon as I saw it, I was just like, I stopped and I was like text you guys yeah. like, and the other thing is, someone is like, stood in the mood yeah the other thing is that it actually looked good yeah it didn't look bad it looked really good it was crazy that his the only things he did well was a side headlock which nobody does well even our favorite wrestlers don't do it very well and then a, the backspring elbow which he did great I mean the most surprising thing Hogan sold something guys he did and you know what he did it for Agent Orange. The payday. He wants he wants that match to be in a 10,000-person arena. So he's got to sell that neck. Hopefully he doesn't uh, do a package where uh, he's got a neck brace on, and then he takes the neck brace off and whispers to a crowd of people, like, Hey, guys, uh, my neck's okay. Uh, Kids, take your pants off. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, wait. No. But, you know, the time where he did the knee thing uh, to the on a pay-per-view. Where he like took the knee strap or arm oh, yeah. strap off and was like, but it's like yeah. Where him and Flair were literally phoning in their performances mm. on the same show, both not in the building. Yeah, poor Flair. Uh, poor yeah. You say poor Flair. He's fucking Ric Flair. But my God, such a shame. The you know the fantasy booking we could do. History is history, and we're here to talk about it. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Tatsumi Fujinami had defeated Vader and held the IWGP Heavyweight Championship for over 300 days. When it became time for the biggest show of the year for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Fujinami would face the greatest 18 champion Riki Choshu to unify the belts at Super Warriors in Tokyo Dome on January 4th, 1992. The two men would focus on mat wrestling and headlocks to begin, before Choshu would slam Tatsumi multiple times to gain the advantage. Ricky would apply a sharpshooter, but Fujinami would get out and lock on a sharpshooter of his own. Choshu would hit a top rope double stomp and a pile driver before going for an ab stretch, which Tatsumi would escape with a back suplex. Fujinami would then head up top, only to be met by Ricky, to deliver a superplex and a drop kick for a near fall. Choshu would then finish up Tatsumi with a pair of suplexes and a lariat to become the IWGP heavyweight champion for the third time. Ricky Choshu would defend the title over the next few months until one of the new generation would step up under his villainous guise. I smell a Yakuza kick. Or one of his buddies. <laughs> next week... Gangsta's Paradise. Oh, I imagine this is a ECW show. That is correct. So I imagine New Jack might have to cut a bitch. 
He just might. Very possible. <laughs> We're going to get power in the money, money in the power, minute after minute, hour after hour. Maybe. Uh, I feel like it's kind of been a while for an ECW show. Maybe I'm high. Okay. I'm not high, but you know. Just saying. Not yet, but just maybe saying. we'll be next week. Just saying. I feel like we've been doing doubles. Double ECW, double WWF. Just backing them up. So it's kind of nice when you go on a run and you're like, next flavor. It's like the, the right now we're dealing in uh, a uh, pint of Neapolitan ice cream. Got a strawberry, which is obviously ECW, because there's blood. Got your vanilla, which is WWF, because it's squeaky clean. And uh, got our chocolate, because Hogan is the champion, and that's the color of poop. I was wondering how you <laughs> was going to get there with the chocolate. I don't I was, know how I was going to get there either. I was going to go with chocolate. I mean, it can be bland at the top, but there's some stuff that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know where I was going to go with the chocolate either. I knew that WWE was going to be I, mean, like, I got to the chocolate and I was like, what like, am I going to say? What I am totally, I going to say? And it just I totally came out of my mouth. with which one's which. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was wondering where you were going to go with the chocolate. Uh, I did not know when I started. Like, just about anything that comes out of my mouth. Nicely done. <laughs> Music for this week's show is Guitar Killer by Eric Jean Kaspar. And Hogan won our main event, so we play his theme music, American Made, by Jimmy Hart. Hey, uh, he's American Made. Made in the Americas. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns... Recipes, drink ideas. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? (laughs) Tell me what you ate there. Uh, They had... um... The, the like pull lever nacho cheese over uh, soggy chips and a Budweiser at the chit 2300 arena there you go 23 I was going to say 29 so what you're saying uh, is I should just stop at the gas station and get some nachos and, and beer and like spill the beer on the nachos you got it Perfect. it's got to be a four pack of tall boy Bud Light heavies actually spoiler alert I've got a box of official Philly snacks that have finally made it that I'm going to bring some, so... I'm excited. We finally get to Looking taste forward to next week. Official Philly stuff. I think the last time you ordered uh, fancy snacks, you got those weird fudge cookies where I was like, you could feel my blood turn to syrup, but it was so good going down. Yes. We've had the fudge cookies. We've had the uh, spicy jams and jellies. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was, that was a good week. Some, that was a good week. Now we get some... Yeah, don't tell me. But if you have any of those things, you can always email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O. X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.